Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to spend time now reading God's Word. We're starting at the beginning here, and we're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. It's at the beginning of your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen as well. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Good morning. My name's Ross. If we haven't met, it is exciting to start a new series, a new term. Everything feels a bit fresh, a little bit like the freshness of creation. So we're going to spend a few moments this morning thinking through that as we kick off the story of the Bible and understanding God's heart. How about I pray that God will reveal himself through his word now. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for our opportunity now in the silence of this room that you've brought us all here together in one place before you. We have your word before us, but we do pray your spirit be living and active in us this morning to understand your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what's the point? I'll tell you a typical scenario. Uh, Whether you're a younger person and you're going to school every morning and on the way to school, another day. What's the point of all this? When you're a bit older, you go to work and you're working every day and you go to work every day and in the car or in the bus, just got another day working for the man. What's the point? Or even worse, I think, or even more so, uh, stay-at-home parents. You get up every morning to a crying baby, you've got to feed, you've got to change the nappy, you've got to put the washing on, you've got to clean the house. I'm sure the thought crosses your mind. What's the point? Day after day, we're doing this over and over again. Where is all this going? And I think there's two kinds of people. One person just goes... Is this my life now? Where is it leading to? Where is it going to end? Is this my purpose in life? What's the point? Or there's the other side of the optimist going, yeah, yeah, I love school. I love work. I love what I do. I love being a parent. But in a sense, at some point, that's most likely going to change or end. There will be a time where you have to leave school. There will be a time where you retire or you lose your job. There will be a time when your kids move out of home. And the point you had before doesn't necessarily work. What's the point? It's the big questions of life. What's the point? In fact, a whole book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, is written around this. What's the point of life? It's meaningless. It's meaningless. 
we work hard, we labour, we get old, we die. It's a depressing book. If you ever want to be, uh, you know, I'm reading through the Bible, it's going to be uplifting. No, no, it'll just put you in your place. Um, it raises the question, what's the point? Now, we're starting this series on the Bible, and as Ben said, story of the Bible, which is good for us because we work through books of the Bible. Every now and again, we'll do a bit of a topical series, but normally we focus hard on little bits. And sometimes, and it's been years since we've done this, uh, we need a big picture overview. How does everything fit together in the story of the Bible? And as Ben said, we're doing it in six weeks, which is kind of trying to be quick enough where we can hold the pieces together, like a jigsaw puzzle. Where is it going? And when you look at the story of the Bible, it's not just an instruction book, a rule book, or, or how to live the best life, but it's actually the story of God's heart. So from start to finish, we're going to be learning about God and his intentions for us. A bit like, what's the point? Well, let's see what God, our creator, says is the point. What's the purpose of life? Well, let's see what God has for us in the purpose of life. What is his dreams for us, his desires for us? Let's look at that. And this morning, starting in Genesis, it's a great place to start, not only because the start of the Bible, but it's a great place to start answering that question because it does have a lot of information for us to go, what is the heart of God? What, his, what are his dreams and expectations of us? So that's where we're starting start of a series, start of a book, and we're going to ask some pretty basic questions at, start, at the start. Questions like the author, and we're going to see he's no ordinary author. We're going to look at the main characters, that actually they're no ordinary characters, and how the start of the book shows us that this was very good. It was a very good start to humanity, very good start of the book. There are three things we're going to dig into a bit this morning as we answer the question of What's the point? So, right at the start, the opening verses of Genesis, uh, we are going to, to see these questions about God. There's a few things to notice here, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that the earth was formless, empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we get this bit of a picture, but there's the first thing to notice is there is a God. And God was the only thing that existed. At this point, the opening verse or verses, there was nothing there. And you get it stressed. It wasn't like, yeah, in the beginning, God, which should be enough. But no, no, he uses words like formless, empty, darkness, over the deep. It's stressing the point. There was nothing. Nothing was there but God. We get this little thing that uh, we're told that God's spirit was there hovering hovering like a bird. So it's a bit of a hint of there's something about God that we need to find out and we'll work, find out that a little bit later in the passage. But only God existed, nothing else. But then we're told God created. Now created, uh, when he said in verse 3, let there be light and there was light and God saw that it was very good. God created things. Now it's a different word in that the Hebrew is the original text. Hebrew makes it very clear the difference between created things and made things. You can make things from wood and from other things. Uh, that's a different word. But created is only used when something is made from nothing. And as you'd imagine, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, only God can create to make something from nothing. 
but that's emphasised. There was nothing there. He didn't um, rework something uh, to change it, but he spoke and things were created. Like you can see the power and authority that God has in this nothingness. God spoke and things come to be. So only God existed, God created. Third thing to notice, there's no mistake in this. It's not uh, the world being formed out of chaos. God was very intentional. It's like he thought about it. To speak the words, let there be light. It's a planned thing, not from chaos or messiness or randomness, but he planned it, he speaks it, he sees it, it's come into being, and he says it was good. It was good. And we need to uh, see, as we, we're not going through work the whole, th every verse of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, but there's this pattern here that God uh, speaks and then it comes into being and he says, this was good. And we've got to appreciate how good this is. Now, if I'm a bit of an artist, or if any of us, if any of us have a go of a bit of artwork and we, uh, we're out the front of church and we're doing our painting and people are passing by and if somebody says, hey, I like your, I like your painting, that's very good. You know what that means for you? Probably nothing. I mean, who are they? Are they going to buy it off you? Are you going to give up your day job because somebody said your painting was good? But if you knew that person who said it was an art critic, an art dealer, that he would pay big money for it, that's different. You might consider giving up your job. You might consider taking that up as a career. It depends who's saying it. Now, for God, perfect, holy, almighty, all-powerful, he speaks and things come to being. If he says, hey, this is good... You know this is good. It's good and it's repeated uh, going through every day. There's night and there's day. He spoke, things came to being and it was good. Not out of chaos, but out of good, God's good, perfect and loving plan. This is very different from the stories of creation that have been around uh, through ancient times. There are lots of creation stories that come out of the gods fighting each other and they needed something. The gods uh, needed entertainment, so they created man. One story is the gods uh, needed food, so they created man. But it's all out of chaos, out of needs for the gods to, to please themselves. It's not a thought through loving plan, but a plan just to appease themselves. But not this time. The emphasis is God's creating this in his good, perfect order, and it's a good, good, but now, it's interesting when we look at ancient times and go, oh, they're a bit naive the way they come up with stories about the creation. But we've also got to set, put this in the setting of our time because our time's not that much different. We don't have these big wild stories. Well, um, we take uh, theories uh, as the same thing that we can be seen as an accident, that we can be seen as a random act that we can be seen as just, you know, gases exploding, random molecules coming together. There's a randomness, which means the reason you are here today is just through coincidence. There's accidents. There's no plan to that. You are just here, you're going to live, you're going to die, and that's the end. You're just part of the, the, the story of the world. And it kind of leaves you empty. So we have this story in, as our background today. 
But the emphasis here in the Bible, that was written way before these theories that we have today, is there is a God, he has all authority, there is no accident, it's very intentional, you are not an accident, but you're here for a purpose because you have a God who cares, planned it, spoke it, brought you into being. And it's not a story that's, that's the warm and fuzzy to say, yeah, I've got a purpose to life. But the way the Bible talks about it, it's a fact. Humanity is a part of God's story, of God's plan. We're going to unpack that a little bit more, but we need to know, this is no ordinary author to a story. He's got a plan. He's putting it into action. Now we're going to see that the characters aren't ordinary either. Now we see in this where we fit into creation, humanity. And when we read these verses, uh, I've just highlighted a couple there. So Genesis chapter 1, same chapter, verse 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And he goes on in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You get the point. Chapter 1 lots of repetition because it wants to stress particular points. We are in the image of God. Uh, and, and we're in the likeness of God. Now, a couple of questions come out of this. The first one is, what is God doing when he's, in a sense, talking to himself in this point? Because before this, there's no one to talk to. When he says, let us make man in our image, what does that mean? The second question is, well, actually, what does he mean when we are in his image and likeness? We actually find uh, when we answer the question to the first one, we get the answer to the second one. So what's God doing when he's having this conversation with himself, when he says, let us? It's, a, it's interesting that uh, there's a number of times in, in Genesis where God says, let us, let us go and do this. Uh, the people are doing this against us. So there's this plural language, but we kind of know... It's talked about God, it's like there's one God, but he used this us language. We got a hint in verse 1 where we talked about God was there at the beginning, but the spirit of God was there as well, that there's different characters in God. Not, not, um, it's not like he's got multiple personality disorder or something like that, but there's actually different persons to God. And as the Bible goes on, it unpacks what that really means. And we see there's God the Father... God the Son in Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. There's actually three persons, but one God, and we see them as one. Now, in that, um, why would we call them one God when there's three persons, when they're having this plural language, let us do this, and look what they're doing to us? It's because the one can be three because of their tightness in there. And you can imagine if three uh, people, and I know this is plays with my head too. But if three people get together and they're so united in their love for one another, they're united in their, their ideas, their vision, the way they serve each other, the way they glorify each other. There's nothing bad within this relationship within the three. Same purpose, same goals, but same love, but different functions. So the three can be called one. To help process this, uh, there's a guy called Augustine. He was a church leader in around 400, the year 400. And he suggests a couple of things. And uh, a lot of the theologians, a lot of the, the people who study the word uh, tend to agree with him. When he says, when you think of the idea of one God, you've also got to think of the idea of community, that they're one community. And he asks the question, 
Uh, if you see one person that's all by himself, so even in these verses, verse 1, there was nothing but God. How can you call that one person, if we're thinking one person, go off into the bush. If you see that one person, can that one person be described as loving? Because if you, if you want to be loving, that only shows in community, when others are around. You can be a terrible person living up by yourself. Uh, or you can be a really loving person. But you can't tell until other people come into his community to see, is he a loving person? And that's how we see God. How do you know God is a loving God? Well, he's in community, Father, Son and Spirit. So when God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, it makes sense. There's three, God, Father, Son, Spirit, in perfect unity. And they want to uh, take this next move of making man to, similar to what they've got. That's why three persons uh, can be called one. Now, Augustus, Augustine also describes this, how did this come about? And this is not from Scripture, it's his sort of reading of it. He says it's like if God said to himself, as in God the three persons, says, actually, we've got this amazing loving relationship. We're loving each other, we're serving each other, we're glorifying each other. This is so good. How about we invite others in to this loving relationship? How about we make man in our image and our likeness so they can be a part of it too? And it kind of makes sense because if you have three people... Uh, let's say three people here at church and you know they're tight they're like each other they they always talk good of each other always loving each other serving each other glorifying each other that's great for those three people to do it but if they're always the three people in the corner doing it is that loving no because they're keeping everybody out it's the loving thing to do for those people to go no come and join us come and be a part of this come enjoy what we've got and that's what god is doing here if a loving God is truly loving, he's not going to just stay by himself. We're going, we've got something good here. We want to share it. Let's like make man in our image so he can see it too, so he can be a part of it. Invite others in to enjoy it. So that's where we see this, the, the importance of the words uh, that we're made in his image and likeness. And if we think about that word, those words, the same words, Hebrew words, have used of uh, later on in Genesis, when a father has a child, he was in his image. And we see it even here. There's so many uh, families here at Southside. Sometimes you see a child, sometimes you see the child and they're growing up so fast, and they're changing so fast, like, I don't know who you belong to. But there are other children, you just go, I know who you belong to. You are in the image of your father or mother. They just look the same. When you see the child, it's kind of like seeing the parent and in the likeness so even when they speak and their mannerisms and their actions you go, oh, just like your father just like your mother it's not polite to tell people that because people like to have their own independence but you think it you see it when i see you oh, i'm just seeing your, your dad or your mum that's being in the image and likeness you're not that person but when they see you they see that person so when god makes creation makes man and woman when the creation sees Adam and Eve, they see God. When people see us, they, us being made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, when people see us, when creation sees us, they should see 
You're just like your father. You're just like God. I see God in you. So we don't look like God physically. I mean, I hope God doesn't look like me. That's what I've kind of got in the back of my head. But it means, and it also means we're not equal to God. God's not saying, hey, let's make more gods. He's not saying that either. But we are created to enjoy God's community. So that when creation sees us, they go, yes, I see God in you. And I see you belong to God's community now, that community of love. Uh, so that's what he means, an image and likeness. So these characters, which we'll get to know as Adam and Eve, but humanity, they're no ordinary characters. There's an order in creation. And humans, man and woman, are made special to everything else. Again, that is something we, we tend to take for granted a little bit, I think, when we start thinking about how the world is moving and, and our oh, we're just, we're just other animals. We've got control. We've dominated other animals, so therefore uh, we have some responsibility, but, but we're just more animals. That's not what not Genesis is saying. These characters, man and woman, are special to God. They're no ordinary characters. So not your ordinary author, not your ordinary characters. And it was good. Not just it was good, it was very good. After each of the days, God, said, God speaks, it happens. He looks back, it's good. But when he makes man and woman, he sits back and goes, hey, wow, this is very good. This is like good. Why does he do that? Well, he gives us two examples. So like... Um, how does it work out that we are in the image of God? What does that really mean? I mean, gave you a big overview. He focuses on two things, two examples, how we are to live out, or in a sense, what is the purpose of man and woman in creation? Where do we fit? The first example he gives is that we sit above creation. So there is an order, God, man, animals. And we see this. There's a bit of a story going on. Uh, we're just going to do a flyover of chapter 2. And this is um, same same creation account as chapter 1, but chapter 1's poetic. It's a, it's a song of creation. Chapter 2 is more of a narrative that goes through a story. But we see this, a bit of a flyover, and there's a bit of a theme going on. Chapter 2, verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. So we get it. God's at the top. You could say God is the top dog of all creation. Like he is the ruler. He is Lord. And it's interesting when you get to chapter 2, he's no longer God. He's Lord God, affirming that he is at the top, uh, top of the order. And he goes to make creation. What does this garden look like? Verse 5. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the garden. It's almost like... God is the gardener, he's the property owner, he's the landowner, he's the master. But he hasn't gone through and planted his garden yet, because there's no animals. He hasn't watered the garden yet, he hasn't watered the garden. And he hasn't uh, put anybody to, to work it for him. It's like God is still in control, but God is the one that is working the garden, is responsible. And then it goes on. Now the Lord had planted a garden. So now what's he doing? What does a good gardener do? He plants. The use of the, the language here. God planted the garden in the east. And there he put the man he had formed. 
Uh, so now there's someone to, to work the garden. It's not just God. He's putting somebody responsible for the garden. Now, there's also already uh, I don't know, some concerns here if you're reading this. You've got the Garden of Eden to look after. The head gardener is giving you the job and the responsibility. I've planned the garden. Now you water it, you take care of it, you look after it. And if we know anything from the way... Um, men do their jobs around the house this is not looking good for the garden of eden you know even looking after the house we forget our jobs we don't live up to our responsibilities let alone the outside we hate mowing the lawn we hate pulling weeds let alone the whole garden of eden this man because it's man singular this man is in trouble so what does god do the lord said it's good for him uh, it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him God can even see. He's not going to be able to do it. He needs a woman in his life to get him organised. He needs a helper. So now all of a sudden, God is saying, I am the gardener, I own control everything, but I'm handing it over to you now. And some people will say it's a bit like, even the language that's used in the Hebrew, a little bit like handing over an inheritance to your son. Uh, God was the gardener. Now, my, my son, who's picked up the same trade, I want you to take over the family business. And he's made the man and woman to do that too. They're going to sit over creation, the land and the animals. There is order to what's going on. We should know too that, I've got to say this somewhere um, in, in that, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we should point out, woman is referred to the helper three times in this passage. Uh, and it's never taken as a way the woman is lesser than the man. Never. Even though a helper, we would go, oh, hang on, the important person gets the top job, the helper is, is a bit of a nobody. That's not the way it's set up. In fact, even God, Father, Son, the Spirit, the Spirit is described, same word, as a helper. But yet Spirit is equally God. So, uh, yeah, don't get confused or don't hear me saying, hey, hang on, men are you know, worth more than, than the women to God. It's not the case. But there is order. We might just come back to that in a moment. But the father gives the job to his son. There is, uh, in a sense, by the son, by, by the man and the woman living in that order, they're imitating what God was doing. God was in control of everything. But now God is saying, man, I'm giving you a special position to lead over this, uh, to have a special job. Now, what does this mean just to spend... Uh, to spend a moment thinking about what what is it going on about because it actually says if we go back to chapter 1 verse 26 it actually fills in a little bit more then god said let us make man in our image in our likeness so that they this is the purpose of life uh, at, at this point there's other parts so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock of all animals over it just gets on and on man is to or humanity is to rule over creation that was god's job god is still there he's still ultimate rule but he said i'm giving you this special role uh, he goes on from verse uh, 28 be fruitful and increase in number why is that because i want you to have a special place in creation i want you to spread i want you to fill the earth subdue it you've got this special place in creation rule over the fish of the sea and he goes over again listing all the things you have a special place in creation. Now, if you want to say to God, hey, what's going to make me feel 
uh, valued and loved. We all like status. We all like positions of importance. God's saying to humanity, you have a position of importance. God, God is the Lord. He reigns over everything. I'm trusting you with my possessions, creation. Here you are. Uh, man, then he created woman. But you reign over the animals, over the plants, over everything. Now, if imitation is the best form of flattery to be like your dad, when people see you, uh, they should see God, it actually changes our perspective on the way we work and the way we do things, doesn't it? Just a passing thought that, that if we were to live out being the image of God, when people see us, we're not just the person doing it, not just the person at school, not person, just the person working for the man, we're not just the person staying at home, we're actually, when people see us, they see you're just like your father God. They see that. They should challenge us. They should challenge us. That's one of the reasons we were created. But there's a second, re- second way that this plays out that's explained in this passage. And that is that God allows us to share in community like his. He actually shows us what this community is like. And we see this um, when God says, uh, chapter 2 from verse 23, um, we have this this thing, like we, we hear the story, Adam's there, he's working the ground. He's done several things. He's been naming animals, he's been doing jobs in the garden. No helper was there for him, he's doing it by himself. All of a sudden, God gives him a woman. Now you'd think, if I'm in the story, I'm thinking, wow, I've got a companion. I've been by myself, I've been alone all this time. I've got this woman in front of me. I'm like, Hey, I'm Adam. Like, hey, I've been doing all this stuff. And hey, you'd be trying to impress her in some sort of way, trying to bring out the romance, trying to get some connection even. It's first date, I know. Some, some connection there to try and engage with her. But it, what we're told here, when he sees the woman, there's the very next verse, verse 23, the man said, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. I'm not sure how impressed she would be with that. Uh, may, maybe he's trying to engage with her in an intellectual sense, uh, poetic sense. It's a bit, bit of a song, poetic. Uh, but actually, what this is saying is actually really important because it goes on to say this connection between this man and the woman in the bigger picture of creation is explained in verse 24. This is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now... Adam and Eve didn't actually have a mum and dad to leave, but it actually shows what's going on when a man and woman do come together. And you see the language here, the language of um, that they've changed from the relationship between their mum and dad. They're united. He's united with his wife. They become one flesh. And we use the language of they're no longer two, but they're one the same language as we talk of God, Father, Son, the Spirit. They're not three, they're one. When now the same language is being used to describe a man and woman in a marriage relationship. They're no longer two, but they're one. Their love for each other, their bond with each other. They should uh, glorify each other, lift each other up. They're no longer two, but one. It's the closest bond and relationship we can know in this earth. To what's going on uh, with God is, is our marriage relationship, or I should say a healthy marriage relationship that's, that's 
the image of what God enjoys in his community, we enjoy closest, it's the image, uh, it's a reflection in marriage. We're united to one, one wife in one flesh, two become one. Now, this is part of the reason why marriage is, we can say marriage is from God and sex within the marriage, sex with the one person is so special because it unites those people into that one relationship. Now, you don't have to be married to know this. It's not as if because you've got a ring on the finger makes you more like God. It's not like, yes, once I get married, I can enjoy this, this close Trinitarian type a community like God does. It's not like that. It's actually more like you can think of the best marriage relationship you know. You might think of your own marriage. You might think of somebody else's marriage. The best marriage relationship, even the little snippets, your grandparents have a great time. You know, people around you, people you really admire, they've got the perfect marriage. At best, that is just the image of what God, God's uh, oneness is like, his community is like. It's just a littlest taste, the best that we can see. It's in the likeness of what God enjoys all the time. But God gives us this example. He gives us this picture. He gives us this taste of community. So it's not that to be more like God, I need to be married. It's actually uh, when we see marriage and see good marriage, it helps us long for that relationship with God. It's a little snippet. I would love that relationship, that, that oneness, to be brought into God's love of um, caring for each other. Uh, building each other up, because that's what God does in, within himself, that's what he's offering to men and women. And that's the little snippet. It should point us, when we see a good marriage, it should point us to the relationship we want to enjoy with God and what God is offering, and we long for that. So there's two examples of, uh, through work, in the image uh, of God, and th even through our marriage, in our community with each other, we're, we're living out. We are different to the animals. We have this place in God's order. Now, it gets to the end of this chapter where it says uh, things like they're together, Adam uh, and his wife were, were both naked, they had no shame. And this is where God says, this is very good. Adam and Eve are in the garden together. They've got their place in creation. They're looking after the garden. They're, they're enjoying the fruits of the trees. And They've got no secrets from each other. There's no shame. They're not fat shaming each other or putting each other down. They're actually lifting each other up, building each other up. So they're walking around naked and feeling very comfortable with it. Even God comes and even when God comes, they're not running away. They've got no secrets, nothing to hide. So God's hanging out with them in the garden. And this is all good. It's very good. It's a very good picture. This is how God created it to be. Man in God's image and likeness. They're enjoying community. They're reigning over creation. This is the point. This is what we were made for. God delighting in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve delighting in God. But we've got to ask the question, how can things go so wrong? How can they go so wrong if, that's, if they've got everything? Now, Adam and Eve is listening, obeying and trusting God but it's truly love, it's truly community if they do it because they want to, because they love to, not because they have to. So God 
puts in this tree in the garden. We won't look up all the verses, but there's a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, look, just you can eat anything in the garden. Don't eat that tree. Just trust me. Trust me. You don't know evil. You don't want to know evil. So just don't touch it. But they've got to trust him. They've got to trust in God's plan. They've been given everything, but, but do they want more? Are they content? This is sort of where the second chapter is left hanging and we'll get into next week. But next week as we hit chapter 3. But things will change. They won't be in the garden forever and we're not in the garden now. So this start of the Bible is, is a bit like it was very good. We want to go back there. And that's how we should feel. We want that relationship with God. But how do we get there is the story of the rest of the Bible. But there's a couple of important things, three important things to take away from today. You have a great, loving Father God who made you. You are no accident that God is interested in you. That, in fact, that God is invested in you and desires a relationship with you. That you are not alone. That's an important point. You have a great God. The second thing is you are made in his image and likeness. You're more than animals, but you are precious to God. And even in this whole, whole order of things, we've got man, uh, sorry, God, man and woman and animals, we are given great responsibility. We have a place in the universe that's special, but also it's comforting to know that actually everything's not up to me. I'm not at the top of the order. God is, so I can trust in him. He is the one that's in ultimate control. So I can trust God and his plans. But delight in us being made in his image and likeness. The third thing in being made in his image and likeness, uh, that we are made for community. It's something in our heart that drives us. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be part of something. And this is where we belong. It's God who put it in us, in our DNA, that we belong to his community. We might long to be married, might love to be accepted, but it's all a pointer. The only one that's going to fulfill us is to be a part of his community because that's why he created us. So I want you to consider, if you're here today and just considering what is church all about, why they talk about God so much, uh, what is this significant to my life, it's actually drawing you closer to God. Maybe God's brought you here today to just go, hey, I want to invite you in to something special, something you won't find in the rest of the world. But it happens when you draw near to him, to God. So I encourage you to keep pursuing God, drawing near to him, finding contentment in him, in that relationship. Now, as we go over the next six weeks or so, we'll see more and more how that plays out and why it's so hard and why we keep failing but I encourage you to be, to be encouraged by that message and to be pursuing God and his relationship with you. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you so much for this story, not just a narrative, not just an entertainment story, but a personal story about a God who's, who intentionally put us on this planet, on this earth, for a purpose. Lord, we know from our own hearts that we are missing something. We are far from the garden. We are far from content in this world and we find it hurtful and painful and, and sometimes just not pleasurable. But Lord, thank you for the assurance that you're invested in us, 
that you love us, but also you're inviting us to something much greater, and that is community with you, to enjoy that love, to enjoy that belonging with the creator, God of the universe. So we commit ourselves to you in our journey, commit our church to you, that we are a church that is always striving to draw near to you and not trust ourselves. But Lord, we come to you as your servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.